Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you, Connell. Great show. We'll catch you here tomorrow. And hello to you and welcome to the Hill. The last time we heard from the commander in chief about 90 minutes ago, he said he was on his way to the situation room. You Donald Trump, by the way, also making Israel a focal point out on the campaign trail today. And at this hour, as you just heard Connell mention there, we are also learning of more hostages released. We are live from the Middle East coming up. Plus, we go one on one with one of the nine Republicans who wants to be the next Speaker of the House. The 48 hours leading up to this, how many phone calls do you think you're making to try to get folks oh, on your side? Dozens? 100? 100. 110. Oh, my God. In 48 hours? Sure. <laughs> and counting, probably. And why one lawmaker is saying, you know what? Might not be bad after all for the government to pay for Eurozempic. The Hill on News Nation starts now. And hello, thank you for being here with us on The Hill once again. Happy Monday, by the way. I'm Blake Berman. Joining me today, Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Scott Bolden is the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman, a legal analyst as well. Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. And Bill McGinley is the former Trump White House Cabinet Secretary. Hello to you all. Lots to get to this hour. We start uh, today with this. Did you see this earlier today? Donald Trump officially putting his name on the ballot in New Hampshire. Now, this is the traditional voyage presidential candidates routinely make every four years. But it's also the first time a former president has returned to the Granite State to officially file in person. Afterwards, in a campaign speech, Trump made Israel and the ongoing war against Hamas a focal point, even levying this claim. It was Joe Biden with his weakness and what he did with Iran and others that caused the attack on Israel. Unlike Joe Biden, I will stand with our friend and ally, the state of Israel, 100 percent. We'll stand with him 100 percent. It was Joe Biden, Chris, who caused the attack on Israel. That's pretty big stuff. I, well, I don't I don't know what Donald Trump means that he would be closer to Israel than Joe Biden, who flew to Israel and hugged Benjamin Netanyahu in the middle of a war. Of a war. I, I don't know what what else uh, that he'd be looking for. And I think that that points to a problem for uh, for Trump, for the Republicans here, is that they had Joe Biden on the back foot on foreign policy after the debacle withdrawal from Afghanistan. And here's one where Biden has seemed to line up with where the electorate is uh, and gone to a, a, what would be a place of strength for Republicans. So I think that's noteworthy, especially in New Hampshire. What's so interesting to me is that on the flip side of it, you have 
Joe Biden, who's gotten praise from some conservatives, particularly conservatives in Israel, for his response, his administration's response to the terror attack and um, to the war. But when you look at the dynamics within the Democratic Party, that's fascinating because Joe Biden is dealing with a very divided yep. Democratic Party. A lot of progressives upset that he's taken such a hardline stance in supporting Israel. We'll get to that in a second. I, you know, these comments from Donald Trump, though, uh, we just heard some of them. He also said, I will immediately reinstate all sanctions on the Iranian regime uh, bill. If he's president again, he said it will be the most crippling sanctions in history. We will also unleash our most powerful economic weapon drill, baby drill. Yeah, and I think during the Trump administration, there was a lot of moral clarity with respect to Iran. President Trump and the administration from Secretary of State Pompeo um, and others in the Defense Department said, you harm one hair on an American's head, you're going to pay the price. Um, General Soleimani, who was one of the people who was leading the IED attacks against American soldiers in Iraq, got off a plane, went into a car, and was taken out by a drone bomb. So I think the Trump administration did lay down some very clear red lines and followed through on them. And I think that's what he was trying to say, as artfully as it was. But Julia raises a great point. There is a lot of division within the Democratic Party on the point of supporting Israel. And I think that's going to be something we have to watch it play out because this war is not ending anytime soon. Yeah, but the reality Israel is needs long-term support. Yeah, that's true. But they need long-term solutions in that region. But 68% of the Democrats support Joe Biden and what he's doing with Israel. Obviously, you've got uh, some others that don't necessarily agree with how forceful he's been, but he's also being forceful in trying to figure out how to get those hostages home yeah. and how to uh, get aid to the Palestinians before this real ground war begins. Hey, joining, us by, position. joining us, by the way, uh, for the next half hour or so, Mick Mulvaney, former White House uh, chief of staff during the Trump administration, also News Nation economic and political contributor. Hello, Mick. Um, you know, the, the, those were some pretty... Uh, Big comments, I think you could say, from the former president. Um, is, is stuff like that going to stick? Yeah, and I think Bill put it really well when he said they were inartful. But look, Trump has a little bit of cleanup to do. He was attacked from his right for not being pro-Israel enough in the early days of this war. He was critical of, of Benjamin Netanyahu and also said, you know, what, what geniuses Hamas was. That didn't go over very well. So he sort of in a rare case, got caught flat-footed and is trying to now sort of solidify that. You're right. Joe Biden has been as solid as any conservative Republican could want on Israel. But I think Scott's point is a good one, which is it's 68 percent support, which means it's 32 percent yep. that it's not in the Democrats. This is an issue that can divide Democrats over the time, whereas I think it unites Republicans. So we have to wait and see how it plays out over the coming weeks. All right. Over at the White House today, by the way, President Biden made very brief comments about Israel suggesting that a ceasefire would, uh, would only be a potential option once all hostages are released. The National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby, would not say today if a ground invasion by Israel is being delayed so that more time can be used to try to secure the release of hostages. Watch. I'm not going to sit here and assume that there's going to be some sort of a ground invasion, and I'm certainly not going to speak to hypothetical timing. I just don't want to be in the position where I am speaking for the Israeli Defense Forces. Chris, Mick, let's start here with both of you. Um, and, and Mick, what do you sort of make of the approach from the White House right now? It's doing everything that, doing everything they can. It's, I think they've really handled things well in the first two weeks. They really have. The difficulty they face moving forward is that, again, this is an issue that divides them. Do you mind Blinken, who we just saw, just wrote a letter 
uh, an open letter to the to the folks at the sec- at the State Department said, look, we know you don't like what we're doing, um, but just sit tight and we'll make sure that the Israelis don't commit any war crimes. He's going to have um, a, a mutiny on his hands at the State Department if this thing drags out too long. So up to now, A+. Plus, but again, in these types of circumstances, you're only as good as, as your last move, and uh, it's going to get more and more difficult for them politi- politically. That's uh, 100% right. Um, and in addition to that, though, the Democrats have one thing working in their favor, which is the Republicans. <laughs> and uh, the, the ongoing tumult in the House of Representatives and the incapacity of, you know, the top the, who's the top Republican in Washington? It's supposed to be the Speaker of the House. There is no Speaker of the House. Uh, that helps uh, in terms of messaging and pushing forward because there isn't a unified pushback from uh, Republicans in Congress or anybody other than Donald Trump. So, uh, look, it, it's a the clock is ticking. Uh, on Biden, the clock is ticking on the Israelis. How quickly can they rack up some success here so that they can turn the page? That'll on, on that much will depend. All right, want to head out now uh, to Tel Aviv. Uh, our man on the ground there, Robert Sherman, joins us live from Israel once again. You know, Robert, uh, come on in because we're hearing now in the last couple hours about a couple hostages, uh, Israelis that have been released. What can you tell us? Yeah, this is just coming in, Blake, with two elderly women who have been released by Hamas. And we're just getting all these updates as they're coming in now. But they were turned over to Egyptian authorities and are now on the way to the hospital. But with these two elderly women being released, that now makes four hostages that have been released in just the last couple of days. But put that all into perspective, though, the IDF says there's still over 200 hostages likely still in the Gaza Strip unaccounted for at this hour here. So, I mean, there's obviously a a lot of things that we're seeing here, Blake, but you are seeing this trend starting to take place. Earlier today, we were hearing the IDF amping up their rhetoric and talking about how they were really going to start going after these tunnels and pound the Gaza Strip. Then all of a sudden you see these two uh, hostages are being released here. What will be important to watch is, does this change the appetite at all for a ground invasion or a grander military offensive if there is the belief that more hostages can be gotten out, that's something that is, is going to be important to watch as the dust settles in the next couple of hours and days, Blake. All right, Robert Sherman, live for us in Tel Aviv once again. Robert, stay safe. Thank you, Julia. This is uh, the issue right now that is capturing the White House. Um, and and there's, there's a couple of questions. One, is, is the ground invasion being delayed because of this? And then two, what is the president essentially doing right now to make sure that this doesn't turn into something much, much bigger? Yeah, so we know that Qatar is the country that's sort of mediating the hostage situation between the U.S., Israel, and of course Hamas on the other side. And I definitely think there is, you know, some communication, or it would appear that there would be some suggested communication that, look, a ground invasion would be bad news for all sides in this case. So we might be seeing some movement on the part of Hamas. And, you know, this is a human tragedy on both sides. And I don't mean to sort of uh, gloss over this this way. But at the same time, there's a lot of public relations at play from both sides of this conflict. And Hamas, um, you know, Israel is obviously under a lot of pressure. So is Hamas. So you're seeing Americans, for example, being released. You're seeing two elderly women being released. And I think on Hamas's part, that could be sort of a suggestion of, okay, you know, see that we're, we're not all that bad. Obviously, what happened was horrific and terrible. What, what, what do you make of the, the two Americans first being released, Bill, and then followed by the two Israelis that, are, that have since been released? 
I, I think it's typical Hamas Iran public relations trying to delay the ground invasion. I think they understand that the IDF is an overwhelming force. But I will say the Secretary Blinken, uh, I think it was yesterday in his press conference, where when he gave the press conference after the Americans were released, was very good and strong in saying that all hostages need to be released, that this needs to come to an end, and that they're going to do everything that they can. So from the back-channel diplomacy to the public statements they're doing, I think they are doing a good job of keeping the focus on Hamas to release those. Yeah, but how much time, I worry about how much time we can keep going like this with two here, two there. The Palestinians who are not part of Hamas need some place to go. The, there's no place for them to go. You've got women, children, and those who are innocent lives. Uh, it's going to be hard for Israel to go in and obliterate Gaza as long as they're there. And then they have to have somewhere to go. But they also need to be releasing these hostages more than two at a time. Because remember, in Israel, you know, um, the prime minister is under a lot of pressure to get vengeance, if you will, or to defend Israel. And so every time you see like you see some progress here, there's another hole that opens up that's unresolved in this kind of inter international relations issue. Chris, shoot me straight, um, because I saw a headline today that that gave me a, oh, okay. a uh -oh. double take. All right. Mm -hmm. It said I will. It comes from NBC. I will never vote for Biden. Quote. Some Muslim Americans in a key swing state feel betrayed by the president. This is relating to the state of Michigan uh, and the and the Muslim American population there. You know, Rashida Tlaib is a member of Congress there, so on and so forth. Can, can this for the for can the state of Michigan for President Biden now all of a sudden become an issue based off of this war? Well, uh, look. Uh, I, every vote is important, and uh, I love all my fellow Americans. Uh, <laughs> Are you being politically correct right now? Comma, however, uh, <laughs> the comma, however, is that there are almost a million Muslim American voters in the United States. That's quite an impressive number and a, and a substantial increase. There are about five million Jewish Americans. Right, the number is much, much larger. So if you were just doing it in this sort of political black foreign policy by political blackmail, oh, I have to do what the Muslim voters in Michigan want me to do, or otherwise I'm going to lose the swing state, well, then kiss Pennsylvania goodbye. Because mm -hmm. if you do what the Muslim voters in Michigan want you to do, you'll lose the Jewish voters in Pennsylvania, and you mm -hmm. can't afford to lose Pennsylvania either. This is why when you're commander-in-chief, this is why you're, when you're in elective office, you have to try to not look at the polls, and you have to try to do the things that you think are right and let uh, as Calvin Coolidge said the only political strategy I have ever had is to try to do the right thing hmm. and sometimes succeed all right Mick, uh, <laughs> Mick stand by I want to get your thoughts here on the other side of this uh, because we're turning to the speaker chaos up on Capitol Hill there are now nine GOP candidates for speaker in just about an hour and 15 minutes from now that group will go before uh, the, their conference House Republicans to make their case now we spoke to one of those nine Republicans earlier today went just down the road here and spoke to Congressman Pete Sessions. Watch. As we met you here, you were on the phone. I'm, guess, I'm guessing it's been like that the last 24, 48 hours or so? Well, it has been. And, and there's a sense of uh, around, I think, members of Congress, Republicans, yeah. that there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot that's happening. And people are uh, skittish. And we probably should be after two weeks of trying this. But I want to give the, our members confidence that we can win. Win what? We can win on the floor tomorrow. We can win the election. We can do the things that we have done in the past 
of not just selling the fight, but talking to the American people about how important conservative policies are for the country at a time when it seems darkest. What's your pitch been? Well, the pitch is real simple, that I believe I had the experience. In 2010, I led the National Republican Congressional Committee when we were 40 seats back. When no one thought we could win the majority, we won net 63 seats. Okay. And we did that because we all got together as a team. And if Republicans get together, we can achieve these. But, but how come you haven't? Because what we've seen the last three weeks has been anything but. Well, in fairness, we, the two people were selected representative of strong parts of our conference. Right. Steve Scalise, a strong part of the conference, and perhaps others did not see things his way, did not want that leadership angle. And then Jim Jordan, who represented uh, a strong part of the conservative movement that some moderates felt like did not represent them because they're an equal part of the conference. So how how much is Donald Trump a factor in all of this? Because it seems like if you embrace Trump too much, then the folks in the swing districts get a little uneasy. If you don't embrace him at all, then the conservatives get a little uneasy. Well, the bottom line is, is that this is a big conference for the majority party. Right. And we do need all of our people that are in this speaking to people as part of our equation. But to be the majority party, we need Trump and we need anyone else. We need all their voices. And this is where some common sense about what we're trying to achieve. But you got to take people who are able to effectively sell this. Right. We passed all sorts of bills and ideas that have been voted on by our conference and the Senate. And that's where we need to be. We need to pass things and then fight with the Senate. Uh, at the 48 hours leading up to this, how many phone calls do you think you're making to try to get oh, folks on your side? I don't know. Dozens? 100? 110. Oh, my God. In 48 hours? Sure. Did you have running for House Speaker on your personal bingo card in 2023? No, <laughs> you no, never no, thought this no. would happen, right? No, and that's because we are better as a team than we are as individuals. We have to be together as a team. We have to see things the right way, and there's more than enough imagination and ideas. And it's not a matter of compromising both sides. It's a matter of working with both sides, and I think we can do that. You think you're going to be the next Speaker of the House? Uh, It's hard to know. We've got to move through nine people, regional people, people in committees, and and we've got to we've got to set, what this is set up as is a difficult task and we can achieve it. All right, Mick. So um, what, one of the things that I found fascinating from that, you know, normally when you you're laughing already, yeah. normally when you hear from a politician, are you going to be the next blank? Yeah, I'm that. That's me. Robert. He wouldn't say yes, because the reality is he doesn't know. And the other eight yep. don't know, and that's sort of where Republicans are right now. And the reality is nobody knows. It makes it great for pundits like us because we can sit here and, and come up with all sorts of ideas. <laughs> I think the smart money is, listen, I'll put it to you this way, Blake. You take the nine who have announced for speaker, 
and I'll take everybody else in the whole world, and I think I'll win that bet on who the next speaker of the, the house is. Can you, yep. When you've got nine I'll take the people field running, too. and you. Yeah, take the field. Yeah, Star- field Starwolf's yeah. taking the field. This is the old Tiger Woods versus the field bet back in the heyday. <laughs> exactly. If you've got nine people running, it means there's no front runner. And here's, here's, here's why I think it's going to be so difficult, okay? I'll give you a specific reason. There's a deal on the table right now to fund the government at $1.7 trillion in discretionary spending. That was the deal that Kevin McCarthy cut as part of the debt ceiling. Half of the conference thinks that's the right number. The other half of the conference hates that number and thinks it should be a lot less. I'm not sure how you solve that. And if you do solve it now, I'm not sure you then survive the motion to vacate that comes in November when you pass a bipartisan bill as the new speaker and the people who don't like that spending, uh, that spending number try to get rid of you. I mean, this is, a shel- the, this is a job with a shelf life right now of about 35 days, and I'm not sure why hmm. anybody would want it, but that's okay because I'm not sure anybody could win it. By the way, uh, Donald Trump, we mentioned we started the show talking about him in New Hampshire today. Did you hear what he said? Wait, he says a lot of things. He what said he a lot of things. Okay. Roll it. I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus came down and said, I want to be speaker. He would do it. Other than that, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody that can guarantee it. <laughs> I do feel like he's, Republicans he's would that, unify. Like... He's, he's wrong. <laughs> 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 wrong. Tell me how he's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was actually uh, Mark Amaday from Nevada had a great line over the weekend. It says, they don't have 217 for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph put together. And I think he's <laughs> That's right. The Joseph faction is very splinter. They want to change in the but, rules. It's but the only hard. reason they don't is because that conservative faction is unwilling to compromise. Yeah, well, if they were willing to compromise at some level on the budget, that $1.7 uh, trillion, then you'd have a shot. You could cut some deals. But if you saw McCarthy, he cut all the deals to get to 217, and he didn't last very long. So, you know, talking to Pete Sessions, so Pete Sessions is kind of a tragic figure and, and, and tells an interesting story about the Republican Party. He got shoved to the right in a primary in 2018, uh, uh, lost his district in the general to Colin Allred. And then that was the Pete Sessions we knew that was an establishment, uh, a creature of the establishment, the former head of the National Republican Campaign Committee, and that that dude. Then he moved 100 miles up the road to Austin out of the Dallas suburbs, found a different district, and reinvented himself again as a much more MAGA-y, nationalistic kind, kind of mm-hmm. cat. And you hear a plea there. It's a sad plea from a guy who says... We could be both, guys. We could, but we could do both of these things. But he knows from his personal political experience yeah. that the Republican Party cannot do both right now. Hmm. They cannot live in peace. Uh, Austin, uh, Waco cannot live in peace with Plano. <laughs> yeah, that's where Julia. Yeah, no, Chris is absolutely right. Um, I, I just don't see any situation. Maybe Jesus Christ will see where they agree with each other. There's just. So what happens in the interim? I, have, I, I mean, know. literally, me. none, none of us know. All if, of if Mulvaney doesn't know, if Snyderwald doesn't know, don't look at me. Uh, all right, well, coming up. He's up by more than 40 points and climbing. A new poll shows Donald Trump continues to separate from the Republican presidential field. But there just might be a new number two. So who is pulling from who? Steyerwald breaks it down when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. Former President Donald Trump may have a new top alternative. The former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley 
has surged to within uh, a percentage point of the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, in a new poll from Suffolk University and USA Today. That poll finds that Trump leads with 58 percent. So everything is relative at this point downstream. DeSantis and Haley at 12 and 11. And you can see on down the line in single digits. Uh, every other candidate, 1 percent or less. Chris Dyerwalt, here to break it down. Uh, when you look at that, what do you see? You know, we uh, we care who might run when Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, or uh, Dean Phillips, uh, the Democratic congressman from Minnesota, when they're thinking about challenging Joe Biden, get in the race. It's kind of interesting. You know why? Joe Biden's old and there's a lot of dissatisfaction inside the Democratic Party and people don't like Kamala Harris. So it'd be interesting to see who the second choice was. And I would encourage people when they look at the Republican race to think about it that way. That hmm. Donald Trump is essentially running as an incumbent. He's a weak incumbent. But he is essentially running as an incumbent. And those if Joe Biden had 58 percent in the Democratic uh, voting right now, we'd be saying, oh, my gosh, this guy is in huge trouble. Donald Trump is that's exactly where he is. So that's a long way of saying second place counts. Okay. Being in second place matters if something happens to Donald Trump, if he goes to prison uh, or whatever. Being in second place would be very valuable. But here's what I want you to see when you look down that line. Look at this next graphic. This is fascinating to me. So this is the change, uh, I believe, since June. So Donald Trump's up 10 points. Ronnie D down 11 points. Okay. Nikki Haley up seven. Okay. And all other candidates, that's Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, all in, mm -hmm. net down five. Okay. This sums it up. Donald Trump took votes from Ron DeSantis. Is it is it one to one there, or is it like these net are net rough? Or? These are these right. are rough. I'm, I'm giving you a sketch here. Yep. These are not exact. So Ron DeSantis lost his vote share basically back to Donald Trump. Okay. He was not able to hold on to that vote share. Nikki Haley got maybe a couple points there, but she really got her numbers from the collapse of these other candidates. So this is what puts those two you see in center screen, Haley and DeSantis, on this collision course. Hmm. Because DeSantis has settled down into that range, and now she's on the rise. Uh, I would also say, number one takeaway from this, I don't see how Tim Scott persists in this race for very much longer. His numbers have continued to decline. He's fighting for the exact same voters. Mike that Pence? I, I, I admire the former vice president, but I don't think, and I say this with love, I don't think it matters whether he does or he doesn't because he's polling at such a low number that I don't think it's that consequential. But Tim Scott is from South Carolina, same state as Nikki Haley. They're, they have been on the same course, and she's got the upper hand here. I don't see, looking at these numbers, how Tim Scott is in this race at Christmas. Can we put up the graphic again with, with all of them, the, the first one? Because, you know, Donald Trump is at 58%. Margin of error, let's just round up and call it six out of ten Republicans. What is the ceiling then for either DeSantis or Haley as you see it? The way you got to think about the Republican Party, you got 35 percent pro-Trump, 25 percent anti-Trump, and then you've got the rest in the middle that just want a Republican, they just want to win. The Speaker's election is a good analogy for this. You have some hardcore attitudes in the establishment and in the nationalist MAGA movement. Most Republicans just want a nominee. They just want to move on. They just want to get this done. And okay. they'll they'll flop to whoever seems like the winner is in the end. Steyerwalt breaks it down. Here for you. Here for you. Thanks, bud. <laughs> All right, coming up, President Biden says Bidenomics is working. Because for the first time in a long time, we're investing in America and we're investing in American people. But is Bidenomics actually working? Something happened today that we haven't seen since the great financial crisis. 
We'll tell you what it is and what it might mean for the president's re-election chances. That's when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back. So President Biden is facing some red signals as he touts some of the economy's positive signs. Under Bidenomics, we're going to make sure America's future is made in America. You know, it's leading to a manufacturing boom, attracting over $600 billion so far in private investment in American manufacturing. One warning sign, though, the yield on a 10-year Treasury bill reached its highest level today since 2007. Now, that's important because it impacts the price of many things, including, for example, mortgage rates, which continue to stay elevated. Stocks could also take a hit as well. To just sort of bring it back, though, to a 30,000-foot level, Wall Street Journal today, Scott, here's the headline. Um, There has never been a worse time to buy instead of rent. When you talk about the American dream, Mm -hmm. part of it is to be able to own a home, and that's gone. Poof yeah, for I a just, lot of people. I just gave a, a personal story of my mortgage doubling. I feel, the end of the <laughs> I feel your pain. I'm with you. <laughs> Without a doubt. But, I, but, but the, the real problem is we, I think the Democrats and the Republicans acknowledge, can acknowledge that the economy isn't what it should be. You can't outrun inflation. you got to do something about it. And the messenger, even if you like Bidenomics, even with the legislative accomplishments, Americans aren't feeling it at the table or at the gas pump. And, and there's no argument to resolve that issue unless inflation goes down. And, you, and the messenger isn't, is Biden, who isn't okay. exactly the so best you, messenger. You say there's no argument. Here is the argument that the president is making. For example, this is an ad that he, he's running. The state no mission. real argument. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden said he'd stand up for workers, and he's delivering, passing laws that are increasing wages and creating good-paying jobs. Manufacturing is coming back to Michigan because Joe Biden doesn't just talk, he delivers. I mean, does that resonate when you see the Wall Street Journal headline and you look at the grocery bills? Got two I mean, different. We, we all know what's going on. You got on. two different versions of what's going on in the economy. That ad is accurate, without a doubt. But the Americans aren't feeling it. And so the messenger is telling you what I should be thinking, but I'm not feeling it at the gas pump or the or, or at the kitchen table. And so what do I do as a voter? I vote Democrat because I'm a Democrat, because the alternative of the Republicans, it doesn't give me any answers. At the same time, though, what are you going to do about my pocketbook? I hope Bidenomics, I hope we start to feel the effect, the positive effect of Biden, Bidenomics in the next year. Because if we don't, this election in November is going to be a toss up. It really is. It's a toss-up right now. I mean, with with everything. It's early now, but it's going to be a toss-up still. Maybe it continues to be a toss-up. But I I worry about that as a Democrat. That ad tells me that the White House doesn't understand economics. That ad (laughs) talked about laws that were creating jobs. What they don't understand is you've got to get the regulations off of the back of small business because they are the engine of job growth in Michigan and other states. And we're not going to see this until the tax policy is corrected until we cut government spending to help reduce inflation so we can get interest rates down because everybody's budget is getting squeezed both by interest rates, increasing costs, and jobs are very fragile right now. All right, so here's the headline in the Washington Post over the weekend. Quote, Biden team looks at buying more ads amid ongoing polling concerns. Are they going to be able to buy their way out of this? 
Chris? Oh, well, I mean, there's only two kinds of uh, money in politics. There is enough and not enough. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden will have all the money that he needs uh, and he'll spend it uh, as I travel around uh, the breadth and width of this great nation. Uh, and I go to swing states. Uh, I see a lot of Biden inventory. They're airing these ads. And by the way, this was a good approach uh, for the Obama campaign in 2012. They got up early, uh, but they were doing something different. They were targeting Mitt Romney. They were talking about what was wrong with Mitt Romney. They got up on the air early in Ohio, in Michigan, in Midwestern states. They stayed up when the for, for folks at home. The ads are cheaper now than right. they will be right before the election. So yeah. when the inventory is cheap, they buy ads, they spend the money. Uh, they're trying to resur- if you're spending this money to increase the favorability of an incumbent president, this is not a great sign. Mick, uh, come on back in. Former budget director, former White House chief of staff to Donald Trump. Uh, what about it when you see those commercials, those headlines, and then this idea that, you know, they're now going to try to buy more ads and seemingly try to change the narrative? I, I think Scott hit the, hit the nail on the head as a Democrat, which is you can't tell people something they're not going to believe. That the facts are right. You can say what you say about it. You, you pull out whatever number you want to. The unemployment numbers are really good, for example. But it's not resonating with people. And if it doesn't resonate with people, you can talk to your blue in the face. Uh, and it's not going to move your polling numbers. They need to find a different message than Bidenomics. Because right now, Bidenomics is just as likely to be associated with inflation as it is so with do you see positive. Do, and infla- so do you see them, Mick, sort of talking? I mean, they're, they're- there's the question about, is the president now a wartime president? And is that, that the direction no, that's, of the shift? Listen, uh, give him credit where credit is due. I thought the speech Thursday night was one of his best, if not his best. It looks like he's trying to make foreign policy a, uh, a bigger issue. I don't think that moves the needle. Steyerwalt may disagree. But if nothing else on Thursday night, he looked presidential. I haven't seen the numbers yet about, uh, about the speech itself. I know they have them in the White House because we used to have them. But he looked presidential, and maybe that's what they're going to go with instead of this Bidenomics. You, you might be able to convince people that he's capable to do the job. I'm not sure you can convince the people they're better off economically than they were four years ago under Donald Trump. All right. Mick Mulvaney, uh, thank you, sir. I'm sure we'll have you on back soon. Hopefully come on in in person. See you we'll soon. See you. Yep, of course. All right, coming up, you've heard about Ozempic. It's popular for helping people lose weight. But could it also trim the national deficit? One Arizona Republican believes that could just very well be the case. The argument that he is making about why taxpayers should pick up the bill for Ozempic. Does he have a point? We'll get into it coming up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back. The Arizona Congressman Dave Schweikirk is now making a new pitch to reduce the U.S. budget deficit, potentially. Cut waistlines and the country's $1.7 trillion deficit with weight loss drugs like Ozempic. Now, the congressman thinks that the popular weight loss drugs could lower obesity rates, which could result in less government spending on health care. 
We've talked about this this drug and this issue here, Julia, for a while. You knew this was coming yeah. to the point where a member of Congress was going to make this argument saying, look, uh, the projected government spending on, on obesity and, and related diseases, $4.1 trillion over the next decade. So why not pay for this stuff? Yeah, look, my question is, how does the government regulate who can get Ozempic and who can't? Because there are the people who may be classified as clinically obese who need Ozempic. And in that case, they, they would um, you know qualify for it. However, we're starting to see that this drug has been taken by people who don't fit into that, to the, to that category right. just to lose weight um, for cosmetic purposes, maybe. Um, and then we see that this drug also can have some pretty negative side effects. So, mm-hmm. you know, who, who regulates So the that? first thing you said caught my attention because you said how the government could. Bill, I think an argument from Republicans, and correct me if I'm wrong, generally speaking, would be, do you want the government to regulate this? Right. And the government shouldn't be prescribing the drug anyway. So if somebody is obese, that should be something between them and their doctor to try and figure it out. And their carrier. And and the carrier gets involved. What about this from Washington State? Uh, A woman suing in that state saying, here was the New York Times headline, her insurance refused to pay for Wagovi, so she sued. She says, quote, they're being penny-wise and pound-foolish. What will they be paying in 10 to 15 years if I don't continue to lose the weight? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Congressman Schweikert and say that what he is proposing is really the people who are already getting their drugs through a government program that they're uh, through the Veterans Administration or their Medicare, Medicaid, whatever, that they change the scheduling so that the federal government will pay this. But here's the problem. Um, we don't know enough about this drug, and right. we don't know about enough about the long-term consequences. Right. And once you're on it, can you get off it? Because we, we have some indications that people, once they start taking this drug for weight loss, they can't ever stop taking it. It becomes for the rest of their life. How much does the drug cost? How much would uh, more, writing more prescriptions uh, for this drive the cost of the drug? All of those things. It just feels like engineering to me hmm. uh, by a congressman not. Uh, sound practical. Well, science. if you're under the doctor's care, they will wean you off it once you get your weight, weight your weight number. The problem is many people aren't under doctor's care. Many of them aren't following the doctor because they see the dramatic weight loss, which does have health uh, uh, pluses. That is uh, lower b- blood pressure. Sure. You, you're no longer pre-diabetic or diabetic, and all the health issues. Uh, you're not snoring anymore. You don't have sleep apnea if you lose this weight. So that's a really good point. The problem is, um, is that a enough. Well, we need to be regulating our food services compared to health care because our food and we intake. Get off my McRib. Is Congress ever going to go down this road, though? Like, that's that's the thing. I don't think so. But I think, you know, Julia and Scott brought up a very good point that I would just emphasize. Ozempic right now is a treatment for diabetes. And many diabetics, you know, have weight issues, right? That's one of the reasons how you become pre-diabetic and everything else. It hasn't been prescribed and it hasn't been approved for weight loss yet. So we seem to be getting out ahead of ourselves and not understanding, as you said, what the true long-term impact of this could be when you start prescribing a drug for somebody whose A1C levels are perfectly fine, mm-hmm. but you want to do it for the weight loss purposes, and that could have an adverse effect. We just well, don't Manj- understand all Manjaro has been approved by the FDA for uh, weight loss, but again, the long-term effects like pancreatitis and even pancreatic cancer are possibilities. Yeah. At this point, that's what we know. So. It- We'll have to continue to watch. Elizabeth, uh, I think you've been probably listening to some of this. We talked about this last week or two weeks ago, uh, this drug, this issue. Um, You you, you knew that Congress was going to at least float something like this at some point. 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, there are a lot of questions, and you're, you guys on the panel have been talking about this already, that does seem to be clear that people who take this for weight loss do need to take it for the rest of their lives. We don't yet know what the consequences are for doing all of that. But this has been a game changer for so many people, people who are now suing their insurance company. I interviewed that woman yeah. last week who's trying to get her insurance company to cover the cost of this. And tonight on the show, I'm, we're even talking about the push to put kids as young as six years old on this drug. Yeah. Um, so that, that's like, I don't know. Um, you know, there's a lot What's of debate the argument there. there? The argument there is obesity is a huge problem in this country, and childhood abuse, obesity is an enormous issue and can lead to very serious health implications and consequences, not just down the line when you're 60, 50, 40 years old, but even as right. a teenager. So hypertension, heart disease, problems with your joints, it's, it, it really can change things. But gosh, it's a little bit unnerving to have all these people taking this drug without any long-term testing on the consequences of yeah. taking this just for weight loss. What else do you have coming up tonight? Well, we're going to talk with Admiral John Kirby in just a few minutes about the release oh, wow. of those two hostages. We're also going to talk with several women who had family members in the near Oz kibbutz, uh, which is where the two women who were just released a few hours ago lived. Uh, the two women's husbands uh, are still held hostage. They, too, are in their 80s. Uh, we'll get their reaction to all the news, but we'll get the very latest from Admiral Kirby on what's going on with the hostages. It's an, an incredibly uh, fast-developing story today. Yep. And obviously all the issues about aid to Gaza, because that is a humanitarian crisis. Unroll yep. It's just incredibly tough to watch those images as well. Indeed. All right, Elizabeth, we'll see you in eight minutes. Okay. Thank you. And remember, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports right after The Hill here on News Nation, 6 o'clock Eastern. But before that... Tensions are high between the U.S. and China, and guess who is in China right now? Not anyone from the Biden White House. It's the California governor. So what's he doing there? That's before we go. Tonight on News Nation, finally a confession and the murder of Natalie Holloway. Now her mother's live with Chris. Beth Holloway reflects on the last decade and what it's like to finally have a sense of closure. Tonight on Cuomo, only on News Nation. Many Americans have missed regular dental care in the past few years. It's important to see a dentist twice a year to identify any problems early. Taking care of your oral health helps overall health. Brushing at least twice a day with fluoride toothpaste and flossing daily can help prevent oral health problems. For more information, visit hrsa.gov oral health. I'm Naheem Hines, proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom has muscular dystrophy, and the MDA helps her and kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. And MDA funds over 150 care centers for kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Learn more at MDA.org today. Pass it on. Today my bank made a big mistake, but I forgave them. My server spilled water on me, but I forgave him. My toddler drew lipstick on the wall. Was I ever mad? It got me thinking. I can forgive my bank and my server, but I'm upset with my own kid? I mean, what's most important here? So, tonight, the two of us are doing lipstick art. On paper. Forgiveness is in you. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. At Susan G. Komen, 
We believe that ending breast cancer needs all of us working together. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to honor the loved one you've just lost, we have a place for you here. Because of you, we're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Visit Komen.org and be a part of our Susan G. Komen community today. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Spot it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Patty! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. No matter who we call family, when we choose to get the flu shot, we're protecting them. That's especially true for those who are 65 and older and people with chronic conditions like heart disease, diabetes, or stroke. Getting a flu shot every year decreases your chances of getting the flu. If you do get the flu, the vaccine makes you less likely to be hospitalized or die from it. Protect yourself and the ones you love by getting your flu shot. Learn more at heart.org slash flu. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the go. I'm Ashley Banfield. Join me weeknights, 10 Eastern, on America's fastest growing news channel. Hey, everyone. Operation Lifesaver here. Today, we're going to find out what delivery drivers know about railroad safety. What do you do if your vehicle gets stuck on the railroad tracks? Get out of the car. Correct. Do you take the pizza? No, then I call my boss. No, then you call the number on the blue and white ENS sign. And tell them I'm stuck in the crossing ID number. Exactly. Remember, get out, get away. Find the blue and white sign to save your life. Leave the pizza. See tracks? Think train. For more information, go to OLI.org. No young person should ever have to worry about having a safe place to sleep at night or whether anyone cares about them. But the reality is one in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For over 50 years, Covenant House has been helping youth in crisis and giving them the support and tools they need to succeed in life. To learn more, go to covenanthouse.org today. Thank you for caring. We are the Veterans Health Administration, and our hands provide life-changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Join hands with us to make an impact in your community. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is an important message from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Mining fatalities, accidents, and injuries are preventable. Taking a minute to approach your task safely can protect you and your fellow miners from injury and death. Staying alert and focused can keep you safe. Do it safe. Do it right. Whether buckling a seatbelt or securing equipment, these quick safety measures can prevent injuries and fatalities. Take time. Save lives. For more resources, visit MSHA.gov. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's another story that caught our eye. The California governor, Gavin Newsom, kicked off a week-long climate change trip to China today. Hmm. Now, his, hmm, is right. <laughs> the visit comes at a time of Stop. uncertainty as the U.S. and China butt heads over a number of issues, of course. You say, hmm. Well, Gavin Newsom's <laughs> not running for president, but he sure want to be ready if it, if, if, if you've got to break the glass. Uh, he, he, Stop he it. Sure, you, you don't think. No, but that's what this is California about, California right? has one of the largest economies in this Seventh world. Seventh largest, largest in the, the world. Yes. Seventh largest in the world. 
uh, emissions and reducing the carbon footprint is a super important issue to his Californians and him as a governor. And so Wayne I go but to if it a bigger that source. That coincided. He's warm it up I, in a good position. The, sec- but it has the second not. politician, American politician, to visit Israel after President Biden. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Gavin Newsom. Well, I don't know if the site he was Hopefully. right he's on his head. He's already been to Israel. So this trip was like on the books and then he added Israel. You're telling yourself stories about this, okay? He's got a lot of Jewish constituents in California. Stop it. I'm just saying if it happened, if it worked out. If it did, it would be coincidental. He would find it cool if it worked out. He's preparing just in case. Just in case. Good luck is met by preparation. What's Newsom doing here? You know, it's, he, he's, he just shows up at places where there's a lot going on. The Republican debate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he cares take it what you will. this country deeply. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>